ready to wake up, you're going to wake up. And if you're not ready, you're going to stay pretending that you're just a little, poor little me. Soldiers, don't fight for slavery, fight for liberty. In the 17th chapter of St. Luke, it is written, the kingdom of God is within man, not one man, nor a group of men, but in all men, in you, you the people have the power. The world is like a ride at an amusement park, and when you choose to go on it, you think it's real, because that's how powerful our minds are. Everybody is I. You all know you are you. And wheresoever beings exist throughout all galaxies, it doesn't make any difference. You are all of them. And when they come into being, that's you coming. Yo, 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 people, how's it going? Hope you're all doing well, wherever you are in the world. And this week on the podcast is a conversation I've wanted to have for quite a while now. I can remember coming across Michael Tellinger's work um, quite a while ago when I first started looking at alternative topics. I can remember searching on YouTube and, and seeing him talking about things like alternative history, the money system and how we sort of free ourselves from sort of the matrix and things like that. And he really is somebody who really is talking about many different topics, but in particular his new work, which I think is very uh, relevant to what is going on in the world now, because we definitely do need solutions. We can all see that a lot of um, a lot of flaws in 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 human society right right now on the planet is being brought right to the surface. And I definitely think we need solutions. And that's why as a podcast, you guys always know I don't always just, I sometimes do have conversations where we highlight the problems, but I definitely want to really bring to you um, practical solutions because I think that is where the real change will come when we actually do practical solutions. So as you know, guys, in the past, I've talked heavily about alternative communities and self-sustainable um, communities. And what is really interesting about Michael's um, movement that he started called the Ubuntu movement, which is basically he has the idea to sort of build a community right in the existing structure. So he's not talking about buying a piece of land or anything like that. He's talking about his idea is to build it right in the existing structure. But anyway, more will make sense as Michael goes into great detail and explains what he means by creating a new system within the existing structure. But the question is, as you know, guys, when when it does come to the conversation of self-sustainable communities, the question is, how can you do this on a mass scale, and how can we adopt this on a on a on a lot on on in terms of the whole general civilization? And I definitely think that Michael's idea, which we talk about in this called the Ubuntu movement, definitely could be a possibility to 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 solve that problem. But I will also say as well, I the, I, I definitely think that. There is many different ways to to build a new earth and there's also many different and also everyone's version of utopia is going to be completely different and i think that is the way it should be um but anyway i I do think this is a really cool idea and i'm sure you will love it and it really is this podcast for me really is that there is people like out there like michael who who are really intelligent and really are trying to think of new ways to build a new earth and i think that is really important right now in the planet so i'm so grateful for michael doing all the work that he's done over the years and also with this new movement that he's starting now and exploring and if you can guys please check out the patreon page and the one-off donation option helps me to keep doing what i'm doing and bringing you these alternative amazing conversations and that is all i ask of you guys so anyway i love you all and enjoy this conversation peace out 
I've really wanted to have a conversation with you for a very long time now because I remember when I was about 14 or 15 years old, I come across you speaking about Adam's calendar. And I can remember when I was very young uh, in them days and I sort of, I wasn't, my, not, my knowledge wasn't as sort of to where it is now in my life. And I sort of heard you speaking about Adam's calendar and, I, and it resonated, but I didn't really understand what you were speaking about. And then I went on this journey where I started looking into the things that other things that you were talking about, the true origins of humankind, the money system, um, the aspect of life being controlled, uh, promissory notes. Um, and then from now, the work that you're talking about now is all about creating this new world, which I think is really cool and very relevant to where we are right now on the planet. And with that relevance that's going on, on the planet now as well, I really do feel that there's there's never been a time like the present where we get a chance to sort of liberate ourselves from all the different things that you've spoke about for many years, economic slavery, so that we can um, create a great flourishing and sustainable, and sustainable living as well. And the situation that is, that is currently going on now is highlighted that no matter how much money we have, it's, sort of, it's, it's, not, it's not enough to keep, keep you alive, which you know, and it's really highlighted, in my opinion, the sort of the fragile aspects of society. But I was wondering, Michael, just to start this and dive in to dive into, I would love for you to just speak about your current view of the situation that has been highlighted in the world now and speak about the current position of um, human society. Yeah, well, thank you very much, Dan. It's good to have young people like you take interest in this because, you know, they say the youth shall inherit the world, but if the youth, youth don't wake up and realize that the world has been stolen from them right under your noses, not much you're going to inherit. Unfortunately, it's the, it's the generation before me and, and my generation now that is largely responsible for this through their ignorance and their cognitive dissonance. And the fact that, uh, you know, we've just believed everything we were told. We we're like little babies, just, you know, very obediently marching to the, to the drum of control and manipulation and media propaganda and everything you can imagine that's been thrown at us. And suddenly, as you quite rightly mentioned, it, had, it really had to come down to a global pandemic, a global crisis, a totalitarian onslaught on humanity to shut us down within six weeks, shut the whole world down and take control of the world and see what happens. See if people actually rise up and resist this. If not, we'll just carry on enslaving them, carry on tightening the noose and things will just get worse and worse and worse until we've lost all our liberties, all our rights, all our human rights, all our constitutional rights. Everything that we believe was there that we had right and access to has suddenly disappeared and literally vanished and evaporated within six weeks. Um, so, you know, today, what's today? 27th of May. We've been in lockdown for more than two months now. Was it about nine weeks, almost 10 weeks in lockdown? And it's just unimaginable that something like this could have happened. And for many years, I've been speaking about creating a new social structure because the system that we find ourselves is, is completely broken. In my, in my 15 years of traveling around the world, and speaking about the origins of humankind, origins of money, uh, the, the, the horrible things that are going on in the world, I always ask people, how many of us are happy with the way the world is going? I generally start my lectures with that. And I say, by show of hands, how many of us are happy with the way the world is going? And I can tell you, in the 15 years I've been asking this question, no one, not one person has ever put up their hand to say they are happy with the way the world is going. And that's a clear indication of the state of the world and the sentiment of the people. 
But the problem is that while we recognize the, the injustice and the unhappiness and the slavery that we find ourselves in, the fact that we have to work like slaves just to, just to pay the bills and carry on week in, month out, uh, year after year, and now suddenly even that has been shut down. We don't even have the right to go and work and earn a living so we can put food on the table. People are dying from hunger, from starvation. In South Africa, we can't even take food and take it to the people that are hungry. You need a permit to do that. You can't even help your fellow man with food. Then you get arrested and you get thrown in jail. I mean, this is an absolute uh, you know, 1984 situation, complete lockdown um, and a totalitarian onslaught. So I've been saying that what is it going to take for us to realize that our system is broken? What is it going to take for us to realize that we need to find a new system, a new way to coexist in harmony, in resonance, in peace, but also to create abundance, a system that allows us, allows all of humanity to use their God-given skills and our born skills and talents for the, for the benefit of ourselves and the benefit of the community in which we live. And this is now the crisis. This is it. I was hoping that we would, we would be able to transition from the world that we were in before the COVID-19 insanity hit the world. I was hoping that we'd be able to transition into the new utopian world of contributionism and the one small town strategy, as, as you may know about. And uh, that didn't happen. But what did happen we were plunged into this catastrophe, this absolute disaster that, as you rightly pointed out, is forcing people to look at their lives, look at themselves, and realize that it doesn't matter how much money I have, it actually is worthless to me right now. While I might be able to buy some food and sustain myself, that's not going to last very long. And sooner or later, the people that don't have food will climb over my wall to take the food that I have from me. And that is a situation that we find ourselves in. So it does present us with a golden opportunity for the people of the world to rise rapidly into high levels of consciousness, start realizing that we cannot continue the way we've been going on for thousands of years, realize that we are not in control, that our lives are being manipulated by this unseen, this invisible enemy. And the invisible enemy is not a virus. The invisible enemy are the global elite that live in hiding and control us, control our governments, control our financial systems through the Rothschild banking empire and give us these little pieces of, of elusive freedom. They make us believe that we are free. They make us believe that we have choices and, uh, and those have now been shut down. So this does present us with a great opportunity and, and I trust that, well, I can see from people like you and many others that I've done interviews within the last uh, eight weeks while in lockdown, people are just desperate to find something new, desperate to realize or to find um, a new way to, to, or something better than what we've had. And, and can't imagine that we're gonna come out of this lockdown and then carry on the way we've been going on. And uh, you mentioned everybody's talking about the new normal. Well, the new normal can't be that we wear masks and we can't get closer than six feet. We're not allowed to hug and talk to each other. Uh, we can't socialize. That is not the new normal. That is an absolute ridiculous um, nightmare situation for all of humanity. So the new normal has to be something new that gives us more freedom, more liberty, 
more access to technology, more access to new ways of curing diseases. And we know that all diseases can be cured. Um, so the contributionism model that I've been talking about since 2005, a society where, can, where people contribute their skills and talents for the greater benefit of everyone in the community, that is now becoming a very, very real possibility for the future. And there is so much interest from inventors, scientists, conscious millionaires and billionaires, and, uh, and so many people that are suddenly woken up and they're finding me, finding the Ubuntu Planet website, finding the philosophy of contributionism, and seeing the very simple model of one small town can change the world, and realizing how simple it is for us to transition from this to this beautiful utopian world of prosperity and abundance for every single living, breathing human being. Yeah, definitely well said. And I definitely want to dive into the Ubuntu movement as well, because I think I think one of the big questions that you said right now on the planet is how can we find a solution? How can we move forward? And a lot of people are sort of asking that question now. I mean, I think, like you said, civilization is at a, at a huge, huge crossroads. And I feel like we have to do this now. We don't really have any other choice. That's, that's my view on it right now. And if we look at the younger generation, sort of say now, I mean, what, if you ask yourself, what are the options really? You can either get a corporate job or you can, you can go to university and be sort of a, in, in debt for the rest of your life. And if you do think about it in life, it is good to have, say, a nice house and things like that. But what people really want is community, clean foods, a, a society that makes sense, people working together, as you know. But the movement that you have been doing, Michael, with the Ubuntu movement, I really do want you to dive into that because... I have I have looked a lot into sort of um, sustainable self sustainable communities and things like that, and I've never ever seen a blueprint is sort of is thorough um, to really uh, to make human civilization um, sort of uh, what's the word I'm looking for to make human civilization in a place of 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 great abundance and great power in my opinion. And um, but what's really interesting is, as you know, Michael is is like I said, I've looked a lot into self sustainable communities, but the question always is, how can we do this on a mass scale? And what I love about your idea is that you're talking about doing this right now in the sort of the existence structure. So I think that's a really important element. Could you sort of speak about that for, for people who don't know and explain this, how this whole thing works? Because it really is a, a beautiful thing, in my opinion. Right. So thank you, Dan. And, and it is, in my opinion, it's the only uh, the only solution that we have. I've looked at all the other movements out there, all the people that talk about you know, a new world and a new life and a better world and, and, and unity and harmony and all the spiritual stuff, but nobody has laid out a plan. How do we go from here to there? It's, all, it's fantastic imagining it, but give me a plan and I'll follow the plan. So the Ubuntu movement through the system of contributionism has developed since 2005, the strategy of one small town can change the world. And this is, this is why it is such a beautiful, easy to recognize and easy to embrace philosophy because it's not something that I threw together last month or last week or last year. This is something that's been evolving and growing and getting better and stronger since 2005. We have gone through many phases with the Ubuntu movement, even into politics, trying to inject a seed of consciousness into the political arena, only to find out that that doesn't work because the political beast is con completely controlled by external forces or the 
people that control the supply and the creation of money around the world control all the global governments. And they're not going to relinquish that control to some fly-by-night or young party coming out. They're trying to take control of their central bank. So this, is, this has been a journey of incredible discovery and realizing, most importantly, what doesn't work, what not to do. And through those trials and tribulations and blood, sweat and tears over 15 years, we have evolved into this one small town can change the world idea. And that really happened in 2016 after three um, successive participations in the South African elections. We also participated in the UK elections in 2015. We almost launched the Ubuntu party in Canada and in the USA. And we also participated in Australia, in, um, in New South Wales, where one of our Ubuntu representatives ran for governor of New South Wales. So we've tried the political arena only to realize that that's not going to work. Because the moment you enter that arena, you enter the, the, the area of, of opposition, opposing, resisting, and that always leads to conflict. And that's an old paradigm kind of thinking. So that, that, and that's when we realized that, uh, that's when I realized that the entire um, political program and the political system is completely and utterly rigged. The outcome of each election is predetermined. It's not, uh, it's not an outcome based on the votes. Um, and this is why the election of Trump in the USA was such a surprise you know, for everybody, but that's a whole nother story. But uh, I realized that it's not going to work to get involved in politics. And even if you do win some seats in parliament, so what then? You're going to sit in parliament, you're going to have one or two or three or four seats and then scream and shout and argue with the people every day. What are you going to achieve? Very little. And that's when I realized that the power really lies with the people. Ultimately, the people hold the power in their hands, but the people don't know it. They don't know how powerful they are. They don't know that if the people start working together, instead of opposing each other and competing against each other, the moment people start to cooperate and collaborate, we can achieve pretty much anything. And that's where the one small town strategy became a very real strategy. And in 2016, we ran in 13 municipalities in South Africa to just try and fight to win one municipality so we can appoint our own mayor and then implement the one small town strategy. Obviously, we were completely cheated. Uh, our votes were thrown and discarded. Uh, so we didn't win uh, any seats anywhere. But what we did realize is that we don't have to be in politics to use the political arena. And that's when the whole philosophy of we can use the tools of enslavement as tools of liberation was born. And that was probably the most brilliant and unexpected um, bit of poetic justice that I could have ever been given by some sort of higher force. And, uh, and when I say this, using the tools of enslavement as tools of liberation, we mean use everything that the government and the global elite throw at us whether it's money or capitalism or the greed of capitalism or investors and their, their search for constantly finding better investments. Um, we're using the, the, the platform of politics itself without actually having to get involved in politics. We use the legal system. We use everything that was set up by the global elite to protect their control of the world. We take all that stuff they throw at us but we don't resist, we don't oppose. We take it and we use it for the benefit of our community. The only thing we do, we turn competition into cooperation and collaboration.
and we turn every small, well, we're going to start with one first, and we're very, very close. But after that, we turn our small towns into places that people operate and collaborate. And the way we start this is we introduce our own source of electricity. This becomes the platform that unites and unifies the people. And once we have our own source of electricity and we're no longer buying electricity from an external source, we are completely independent. There's a whole lot that needs to happen to make that a reality, but we're not going to get stuck on that. We're not going to let that trip us up right now. But, and there are ways to get it done and get beyond any hurdles that, that stand in our way. I've been down that road. I've dealt with those issues. And believe me, it is possible pretty much wherever you are in the world. Um, so once we have a small town where the mayor has recognized that he or she has had enough, they cannot continue the way things are going. They need to find a better way to manage and provide for their community and steer their community into a, into a, a better future. And the mayor agrees to do this. The mayor becomes the voice and the face of the one small town can change the world strategy. And uh, we bring our electricity device. Uh, it's very advanced new technology. It's never really been seen anywhere in the world. Um, and we put that in. Once we have our own electricity, every cent that we pay as a community towards the electricity bills every month now stays in that community. So you can imagine a small town of 10,000 people, everybody pays $100 a month. That means we have a million dollars a month available for the improvement, the upgrading, and starting community projects as new businesses within our community. So that is the beginning. That's the springboard to launch your one small town strategy. Over and above that, we identify the industrial opportunities the small towns are just falling apart all over the world. They really are struggling and feeling the impact of economic meltdown and economic decay. So we, we, we set up a, a, a committee of, um, of representative council of the people of the community, and we identify the, the industrial opportunity, whether the farms that are standing empty and idle, the factories, the warehouses, the hotels, the the nature reserves, everything has been abandoned because of, of the economic decay. People just go bust and bankrupt and they just leave the buildings. They can't continue. Money has destroyed their dream. Money and capitalism has destroyed their, their ability to provide a service for the community. It hasn't done the opposite. And we take all these industrial opportunities and we put the right people into those and reactivate and reinitiate those businesses. We put together a really watertight and a, a very meticulously planned business plan for that. And obviously food growing is one of the first things we need to do, growing food on a very large scale. And when I say growing food, and I don't just mean a bunch of hippies, you know, getting stoned and coming together and growing food. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about meticulously planned growing of food with farmers and people that know how to grow food on a large scale, but bringing in the other more conscious way of growing food. So we don't just create monoculture destruction everywhere. We start to integrate the more conscious and advanced way of thinking about growing food, one that enhances the other and so forth. And then we don't just grow corn and then sell the corn in bulk. We grow corn and we create businesses down the line that, that from you know, everything that you can do with corn, we don't just sell it in bulk. So we enhance and we expand 
almost an infinite expansion of the industrial opportunity that we create for ourselves in our town. So literally, uh, once you start looking at the business plans of a one small town strategy, it boggles the mind how much business we can create, how many businesses we can set up as a community, how much money we can generate for our community from those businesses, and how much, we can, how much prosperity and abundance we can create very, very quickly. This goes into all the areas from growing food, technology, IT, engineering, education, healthcare, arts and culture. Every sector of our society is immediately impacted on by this one small town implementation. And what it also does, it creates a very lucrative investment opportunity for the conscious millionaires and billionaires out there who are desperately looking for new investment opportunity. And if there's one group of people that will recognize this and that have already started to recognize this, and I speak from experience now because especially the last two and a half years, we've seen more and more conscious millionaires and billionaires paying attention to what we're doing. And especially the last two months in lockdown, I've done more interviews and I've had more contact with conscious potential billionaires and investors into one small town than ever before. So it tells me they're starting to realize this is an opportunity. And if anyone knows how, um, how uh, skittish and how fragile the investment markets are, it'll be the conscious millionaires and investors around the world. They know how quickly you can lose everything. You know, you make one wrong decision and, and the rug is pulled from under your feet and you, you lose large amounts of money and investments. And the one small town, what it does, because of the cooperative nature and the collaborative nature of the businesses and the projects that we launch, the, the investors have a very, very secure investment. Let me backtrack a little bit. Everybody in the town is asked to contribute three hours a week towards one of the many projects or businesses that we start. When I say project, I mean business. You know, it's a, it's, it's a project that the community participates in, but it's actually a business, whether it's growing food or engineering or healthcare. And the, the community, the people of the town are co-owners of that business that we set up. The investor and the community co-own those businesses. The investor retains one-third of the profits. One-third of the profits is retained to upgrade, improve, and create new projects down the road and into the future and maintenance. And the final third is distributed every month. Final third of the profits of all these businesses is distributed to the people of the town, all the people that contribute their three hours a week to these projects. So that's, that's really how simple it is. Everyone is required or the people are requested to contribute three hours a week, just three hours a week to one of the projects. And we're not stupid. We're not just going to send people willy nilly to go and stand somewhere and, you know, waste three hours of their week. We have tools and technology and blockchain technology to identify people's skills, to know exactly where they may be needed to make sure they can go and, and, and be effective if they are needed. Or otherwise we just need, general help, labor that is needed from keeping our town beautiful, from beautifying our community to some of the more intricate skills and, and labor that is necessary. And uh, this is such a simple structure. But the key thing here is imagine a town of 10,000 people and, 
and everybody, let's assume everybody contributes three hours a week. That might not be the case, but we can address that situation. If everybody contributes three hours a week, that is 30,000 hours of labor a week, 30,000 hours of free labor a week. And you know what we've just done, right, Dan? Mm -hmm. We've turned our town into a fierce competitor to any large organization around the world, whether it's Microsoft or Apple or any other company that employs several thousand people. And we've just become a fierce competitor to any one of those large corporations because we have the unique benefit of having free labor that those corporations pay millions and billions of dollars for labor every year. I love that. Honestly, what what a great layout as well, by the way. And and like I said earlier, I've, I'm somebody who's looked heavily in self-sustainable communities. I've I've visited many when I've done this podcast, and it really everything that you're speaking about really is that. It, it it seems to me like it is that next level, and it really does. I'm sure as well, people watching this and listening are going to feel what you're seeing on a soul level as well. Because I loved as well how you, Michael, how you were speaking about going from um, competition to collaboration. Because I don't think people really fully understand that how important that is when you have to actually have to create an infrastructure to create a new world. And I just really think it's really, it is really super smart. And, um, in well, a, like, well, just think about, uh, let's use, use as our family and, and our immediate extended family, whether it's your brothers, your cousins, your grandfather and so forth, you know, when you grow food in your family with your family and your family plot, I mean, you go and get the food in the garden, you bring it into the kitchen you don't start charging the members of your family for the food, do you? Mm-hmm. So just that's really, it's that, the, the analogy is that simple. The food that we grow on a large scale in our community, and it'll be a large scale, believe me, small towns can grow an incredible amount of food on the land that surrounds them. Food that we export to the rest of the world in, in quantities that people do, cannot imagine. So we can grow so much food for our small community, for our small town, that we have all the food we need. And when I say food, I mean everything imaginable because we have all this labor force that can do whatever we choose to do. If we want to create a new theater, we'll build a new theater. If we want to create a new sardine processing plant, we can build a sardine processing plant. You know what I mean? Anything that is necessary that will bring prosperity and abundance and something that is connected to the skills and the talents of our people or the or the economic structure or the, the opportunities, industrial opportunities that have presented themselves based whether you live on the coast or whether you live up in the mountains or whether you live in the town is in the desert or whether it's in a, where an area that gets a lot of snow. Every community has different specialized uh, industrial opportunities that they can really um, exploit and benefit from. And this is why every community is going to be completely unique. They're going to be no two communities that will be the same. And it's not only the climate and the, and the location of that town, it's also the people. Because the small towns are full of people that have got great skills and talents, but they don't use them because they've been laid off. They don't have work. You've got rocket scientists and, and bloody engineers that are working at McDonald's. This is a disgrace. And this is what we will turn upside down. We will find all these amazing people and we'll put them to work surrounded by the necessary funds to set up a business around them, whether it's a material scientist developing new materials for the, for the whatever industry, all these people are out there. And keep in mind that these are the same people 
that perform these tasks for the large multinational corporations that then use their talents against us. They use these people's talents to create these new materials and cure and cures for diseases. And then they charge us. They become incredibly wealthy by selling this stuff to the rest of the world. While these people who are human beings are actually the inventors and creators. And if we bring those people, these brilliant minds into our communities, we can create, invent, manufacture, design, grow anything we can imagine. And in such abundance that we will have so much of it that we don't have to charge ourselves for it. First of all, so everything we do and grow and create in our community is free to those people in our community. As long as you contribute your three hours a week, that's all you got to do. And then the rest of the abundance is sold around the world. Now let's just put a few things into perspective here. Any company that employs 5,000 people or more in the world, the average annual income of a company of 5,000 people is $1 billion per, per annum turnover. We can start to compare a small town of 10,000 people to a company of 5,000 people, employees, because although not everybody is going to work a full day every day, we have the benefit of having 30,000 hours of free labor a week. And that will put us into a position that no company anywhere on earth, whether it's China or India or anywhere, no company can compare with us and compete, can compete with us on the price that we produce our goods for. Plus there's also the whole integrated thing. What I didn't mention is that all the projects, all the businesses that we set up in the beginning, these are, they all need to be integrated businesses. So all the leftovers or the, the excess of this business or that business can be used in some other business and, and some other project. So we don't throw anything away. So everything becomes usable and, and that becomes a benefit to something else. One of the other projects that we do. Uh, it's just, it is such a simple model. It is truly spectacular. And just imagine a town of 10,000 people turning over a billion dollars a year with an expected profit margin of about 30%. Which is might be even more than that because of the low cost of labor and the low cost of the ingredients that we create ourselves. The the amount of money that this little town can make is unimaginable, and some people will be jumping up and down and saying, "Oh, but now you're talking about money and making money." Yes, that's exactly what we're talking about. And I often come under attack by people that are ignorant; they haven't thought this through. They think, "Oh, we're going to create these these hippie communities where we all live without money." No. This is why it's never worked before. That's exactly what the elite want you to do because then you're walking down into your own trap and you're really tripping yourselves up. What we're doing is we're using the tools of enslavement as tools of liberation. Just always remind yourself of this. You cannot resist it. You cannot fight it. You cannot beat them. They created the systems. They created the money. They created the legal structure. They created the government structure. So they remain in absolute control. If you try and fight them, you will lose. So what we do is we take those tools and we beat them at their own game because their game is based on competition. They put people against each other and one corporation against another. And it's this constant greed factor that makes people climb the ladder and believe that when they get to the top, they're the king of the castle until the next king comes on and knocks them off their perch and they land up in the ditch. So we take that and we get one up on them. Because we turn the competition philosophy into cooperation and collaboration. The moment we do that, there is no way 
that any capitalist-based model that is based on competition can compete with us in any way or form. And I can tell you this because of a number of very senior um, business uh, strategists and business planners and uh, accountants that work for billion dollar companies to small, very successful businessmen who know how to draw up business plans and do the accounting and the maths and all that. And they've done the numbers and they've done the, the models for a capitalist system versus a contributionist system. And many of them have contacted me once they've done these numbers because they were so blown away by it. And the, the, the answer and the feedback is always the same. You know, you know, at first I couldn't, I couldn't understand how this could work, but then when I started putting the numbers in, it's incredible. No matter how I stack the deck, this model of yours, this contributionism model always comes out many, many times more successful financially than any other capitalist model that we plug these numbers into. So we know it works. And we know it will become an attractive, uh, an incredible attraction to conscious billionaires and investors. And let me also explain to you why I say this, because a lot of people, if they're new to this especially, they're going to say, why, well, why, why are they going to be attracted to this town more so than any other town? Well, because of our collaborative skills here. Because when the investor comes in, there'll be one investor. Keep in mind that all the people of the town become the partner of that investor. So it's the community that's co-owners of that business. Now, whether it's a bakery or a dairy or an engineering company or a healthcare facility or a sports field track or whatever it is, whatever the investor comes in to invest in, there's going to be one of those businesses because we're not going to create several businesses in our town since we're all the shareholders. We're not going to start competing with each other. We're not that stupid, right? So we're going to have one bakery that we all, everybody is co-owners of that bakery and just one investor for that bakery. We might have several bakery outlets, but it's one business that bakes bread collectively for the whole community. And that bread is free to the whole community, but all the excess bread that we create, we pack up very nicely and we deliver it and we sell it and we market it through the best salespeople and marketing people that we've hired from the biggest companies in the world because we can afford it. We steal all the best sales managers and buyers and people that know how to distribute stuff and how that works, right? Because we're not stupid. We're not building a hippie colony. We're building a very successful business model here. And, uh, and then we start selling the, the bread to the hotel groups, to all the chain stores, to all the mom and pop stores, to all the restaurants. We, could, we will sell more bread than any of the other bakeries around and we can sell the bread cheaper than anyone else because of the structure of our collaborative business. And that is the attraction for the investors. No competition, no fears of hostile competition. You're the only investor, the only bakery in that community. You have 10,000 people on your site. I'm using 10,000 just in case people are confused. I'm using a model of a town of 10,000 people just to keep things simple for this model. But it can be you know, any size from 5,000 up to 200,000 people. That is, no, that is more or less the size of town that we, 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 um, we are promoting, we recommend. Anything smaller is too small. Anything larger is becoming too, too cumbersome and too, too big. So once we start doing this, it, it literally becomes such an attraction 
to the investors because now suddenly everyone is on your side. Everyone wants you to succeed because they're co-owners of your business. Whether it's an engineering company, whether it's a bakery or a healthcare facility, it doesn't matter. I love that. And I love how he as well really highlights to me what you're speaking about there, Michael, is sort of how unity becomes abundance. And I don't think a lot of people really understand the, the, the deeper meaning of how unity can create, create abundance within us in civilization. And yeah. I would love you to, Michael, to dive a bit further into the, the money aspect of the, of the town, because I know as well, I've heard you mention a few times that how in terms of the money aspect that, in, that the interactions outside of the, the community would involve money, but eventually with inside of the community, that it would eventually sort of transition into a moneyless community. Is that yeah. correct? Well, exactly. And, and thanks for bringing me back to that point. Um, this is really important. What is, what is the end game here? The end game here is for people to realize that we don't need money. And that'll happen very quickly. And the, the way it's going to happen is that as people start to contribute their three hours a week, no one is forced. First of all, no one is forced to do this. This is a voluntary process. So the mayor might might introduce this one town, um, one small town strategy and not one single person might support the mayor, but it doesn't matter. The mayor can still do it on his or her own completely independently. What the mayor will in essence do is will take a new energy device that we're going to provide the mayor with that will belong to the community. The community just won't be aware of it because they may be arrogant or whatever, but the mayor might be a visionary and the mayor recognizes this as a golden opportunity to rescue his or her town from the clutches of you know, bankruptcy and complete destruction. So we'll do a deal with the mayor and we'll, ins we'll install the electricity device. And basically all the money that then starts to come in every month, the mayor and the council will have all this money to upgrade the community with. And the mayor will be under obligation based on the contract that we sign with the mayor. Otherwise, we're not going to give them the electricity device because the electricity device belongs to the community. It doesn't belong to the mayor or the council. The only way we, this is going to work is when we find the mayor and the small town that wants to do this, the, the energy, the electricity generators, generator, it doesn't matter whether it's from one megawatt to thousands of megawatts, we can put them together and they, we can generate as much energy and electricity as that community needs. That is not the issue. Uh, so whatever electricity device we put in, um, now all that money is going to come and stay in the community. It's going to be managed by the mayor and the council while not one person wants to participate. But, but, but immediately up from the first month of the electricity device being switched on, the mayor is going to have to use at least two-thirds of that. One-third is going to go to the council for maintenance and upgrades and so forth. And the other two thirds are going to have to go to creating business, uh, setting up businesses or community projects that benefit the community. So you can see how quickly those people are going to wake up and realize, oh my God, the mayor is doing something amazing for our community. We want to be part of that. Or if you just take it to the next level, if even if only 10% of the community participate, if a town of 10,000 people 10% is 1,000 people every month, three hours. That still gives you 3,000 hours of labor every week. You, know, you have to have a lot of projects and a lot of businesses to put people to work to fill 3,000 hours of labor. So you can see how powerful this system is. 
It is incredible. And when people first hear about this and they think three hours a week, well, what good is that going to do? It just, they think that because they're still naive. They're still thinking of capitalism and competition and, and this horrible struggle for survival. They haven't figured out that when you cooperate and collaborate, you have to work very little to create a great amount of everything that you do. That's the big difference. The moment you cooperate and collaborate, it only requires a very tiny um, involvement from everybody in the community to create a huge amount of abundance for everyone. That's a spectacular thing that really comes out of this. Yeah, it really is. And uh, Michael, just a quick question I want to ask you as well is, is, is around the topic of um, within, within the town itself, bridging that gap between technology and nature, because I'm not sure if anyone's really asked you this question, but I think I've heard you in the past slightly touch on about how eventually the the, the mechanics that, that are developed within technology, like sort of the materials that are used and things like that, will eventually be sourced from more natural materials and, uh, for example, yes. um, certain measures for using well, technology. Well, more immediately. Than, yeah, using technology. It's going to happen very quickly, Dan. Yeah. Um, but I want you to hold that thought because I, I digressed a bit from the previous question. Um, and I sort of ended because I forgot where I was going with it. <laughs> I get so, so caught up in my, on my track here. Uh, let's come back to the technology and how the technology will change very quickly. And let's just finish the thought on money and how people realize very quickly that, that, that we don't need money. And that's because imagine we start making all this money every month and there's you know, $100 million to be distributed to the community every month. So suddenly just for, and that's just for contributing three hours a week. Just, it is almost impossible for us to contemplate that in a capitalist world, dog-eat-dog competition world. We, that's just not possible. And suddenly that becomes reality. And we, every month, everybody in the community, as long as you contribute your three hours a week, you get this check and this money distributed to you that you put in the bank. But now, so now you get money going into the bank every month and that money will hopefully, based on all the, the plans, that money will keep growing as the businesses expand and the projects expand and we make more and more money, uh, it really is just going to literally grow exponentially. So you keep getting money every month and that money is going to be growing and you put it in the bank. But in our town, as long as you contribute your three hours a week, everything is for free from the electricity. Eventually once the generator is paid off and that's not going to take more than two years, two or, two or three years. Um, uh, but still a large portion of the income is used for the upgrade of the community. Only a small portion is, is used to pay off the generator. Uh, so, and once the generator is paid off, it belongs to the people, it belongs to the community. So then the electricity is absolutely free. So then you get free electricity, you get, you get free food, you get free computers and technology and anything, whatever it is that we manufacture in our town is available to the people. And once we have distributed everything to everybody, uh, everybody's got a computer, everybody's got whatever they need. The excess we make is then exported and that's where the, the, the real income comes from. So people won't have to pay for anything. So all the money they get every month will just sit in the bank. And the only thing they're going to use that money for is when they leave the town. If they go into a neighboring town or go to the city or visit their friend in America or whatever, whatever they do outside of their community, they'll still have to use the money. Otherwise, the money just sits in the bank. And that's when people start to realize that we don't need money. Look how these people live over there in those communities. They still have to pay for everything. It's terrible, disgusting, horrible. 
why would you ever want to leave your town? You, you're going to, you know, you're probably going to stay and more and more people are going to come visit you and they're going to say, this is unbelievable. How do you do this? And that's where you see the domino effect. And this is why I predict that the moment we get the first one small town going, this is not even a proof of proof of concept. It is the acceptance of concept that's going to create the domino effect. The acceptance by a mayor and a community to do this, that's going to inspire and stimulate other towns and communities to do the same. As the first town starts to set this up and the, and the mayor becomes the voice and the face of this very exciting activity and goes out every week on all the social media and possibly even mainstream media to promote what we're doing, how successful it is and all the weekly updates with things that we've achieved and what we're doing. And yeah, this has never happened before. So this is going to create so much excitement around the world and so much excitement in other small towns that this will spread like wildfire. And I believe that it's not just going to be a, a linear domino effect that we create. It's going to be a quantum domino effect a quantum effect in all directions across small towns in, the, in, in that country, then across borders and right across the world. And it's, it's, it's going to become impossible for any government anyway to stop this because we're not breaking any laws. We're not opposing anyone. We're not resisting anyone. We're becoming incredibly successful and incredibly rich within the capitalist model. And that's what they've been promoting. And that's what will bring down capitalism itself. It's the success of the one small town model and the amount of money it makes that is going to ultimately bring down the capitalist and the money system. Because that's when people start to realize that we don't need money. We need each other to create all this success. Once we cooperate and collaborate, we don't really need that money. And, uh, and people realize that money does nothing. People do everything. You can put a million dollars on the table and it's going to do absolutely nothing until, until we get up off our asses and we go into the field, we plant the seeds and we grow the seeds and we harvest the seeds. The money is not going to do anything. And people realize, oh my God, it's, if we don't do it, it's not going to happen. And they realize that until now, money has been a hurdle and the obstacle to all human progress, to all human dreams, everything that we've ever wanted to achieve, money has always been the obstacle to achieving those dreams that we have as little children that get beaten out of us by our teachers because they tell us, well, that's very nice. It's a lovely dream, but how are you going to make money and survive? Oh, I didn't realize that life was about making money. I thought life was about living and enjoying your life. And ultimately, that's what it comes back to. And that's the one common denominator that I've found in all my travels and all the lectures I've done all over the world in the last 15 years is that people everywhere want the same thing. They want to be happy. They want to live happy, beautiful lives. The word money hardly ever comes into it because all depends on your situation. Money may not make you happy. Money may not give you a beautiful life. And this is where we realize it. And the one small town model is the vehicle, is the tool, is the mechanism that'll bring us into that kind of environment, bring us into that kind of level of thinking, into that level of consciousness where people realize that once we start working together, just just a little bit, just three hours a week, operating and collaborating three hours a week. We can have anything we choose. Yeah, definitely. And Michael, I would love for you to go back and talk about the, what, we, what I brought up initially about the, um, trying to bridge that gap between technology and nature because I think that's a, an interesting element. I've heard you speak about a few times about how eventually the, the sort of the, the means of technology will become more um, sustainable and more sort of natural means, if that's the right word to use. 
Yeah. Well, in a, in a contributionist society, everything is renewable, recyclable, uh, reusable, uh, green, um, and nothing, nothing is ever wasted. Nothing is ever polluted. There's no pollution whatsoever because it's unnecessary because the technology that we have will be such that will benefit the community, benefit our community and benefit neighboring communities and society as a whole. So it's very simple to see how this progress to advanced technology will, be, will, will change our lives very quickly. What happens with technology today is that the technology isn't created to help humanity. The technology is created and invented to benefit the corporations that create it, to enrich those corporations and their shareholders. And they just use the technology as an opportunist vehicle, an opportunist stepping stone or platform to exploit humanity. And we think this technology and progress, it's got nothing to do with that, really. So the moment we start um, working in, in, in communities where we support our scientists, our inventors, our healers, our, um, our material scientists, our engineers, and we give them the, the research labs and the research facilities and the technology they need to create and invent whatever they need, things will happen really, really quickly. Because whatever discoveries are made, whether it's a cure for cancer, which, by the way, we know we've had for a long time, all disease can be cured very quickly. And that's going to be one of the first things, incidentally, that will be introduced into the One Small Town model. Health and wellness centers that pretty much cure all disease because there are many people that know how to do that. But the mainstream pharmaceutical companies obviously don't go anywhere near that because that will make them go bankrupt. So... <laughs> So you realize how the whole globe, the world has been turned upside down, not because people are stupid, because we've been enslaved and controlled by the money makers and the giant corporations that have, that have you know, enslaved us and let us down this, this disgusting dead end. But uh, so that'll change dramatically. So you can now imagine uh, getting a bunch of IT geeks together saying, okay, well, let's make a supercomputer. Let's make a computer that once you buy a computer, once you never have to buy another computer, it's all plug and play. Everything is really simple. And if you need anything else or anything, any upgrades, it's available immediately and it's for free because that's what we do. So the question is, how long is it going to take for us to build a supercomputer in our little town? The answer to that is not very long because those supercomputers have already been designed and developed and created, but no company, no computer company currently in the world is going to make those and release that because it's going to cause their demise. But we in our one small town are going to do exactly that. We're going to launch that supercomputer because we don't really want to make money out of it. We want to create a platform that's going to make a lot of money in the beginning, but eventually it's going to hit an end at a wall. And after everyone in the world has got one or two or three computers and they don't ever have to buy another computer again, that race is going to be over. And we're just going to keep upgrading and improving for free what we've already created. So the technology available on every level is going to change very quickly. And literally overnight, well, ask yourself, how many supercomputers do you think we're going to sell from our factory in our one small town? The answer to that is as many as we choose to make, as, as many as we can make. Because you know as well as I do, the moment we release a laptop that is capable of doing anything and everything, has infinite memory. And if people don't understand what that means, we can talk about it another time. Laptops and computers with infinite memory, with 
with Wi-Fi and telecommunication skills that are lightning fast, uh, that is all available. So how many of these are we going to sell? You know, it, there'll be a queue. Everyone in the world is going to be ordering one of these. So that's just one business in our little town, right? <laughs> so that's the technology. But now let's talk about materials. Right now, the mining industry. The mining industry is, is, is destroying our world around us at a rate that most people cannot understand, cannot comprehend that, actually. And um, the mining industry will change. We don't need iron. What do we need iron for? We don't need steel. What do we need steel for? We only need steels for industry. We need iron for industry. We need chrome. We need all these minerals and metals for the industries that make the, the, the machines and the tools of enslavement that keep us enslaved. So once we no longer need those and our material, our material scientists start to invent and create new materials that are, you know, a thousand times stronger than steel and, and 10 times lighter than steel while, and they're completely natural, they're completely biodegradable and renewable and recyclable. Why are we going to carry on mining if we can make these other materials? And because we're making whatever we're going to use these materials for, is going to be set up so that it benefits society and not leeches on society. So everything changes. You've got to completely rewire your thinking about the technology and, and the tools, the materials that we use. And that obviously also goes for the auto, auto car and, and transport industry. You know, we, we know that we can create levitation technology. It exists. We know that we can make cars drive on water. We know that we can create, create a battery that can drive a car. You don't even need a, you don't need a plug point. The batteries that charge themselves as they, as they go. That's, all this technology is available. So whatever we think about technology and whatever we think or believe that is advanced technology today, that'll become technology of the past. It'll become like Stone Age technology very, very quickly. Because it's no longer, our technology is no longer going to be created to enslave humanity. It's going to be created to help and uplift humanity to, to allow us to achieve everything we've always wanted to achieve. I love that. So much great stuff there, by the way. And let's see if someone out there is sort of, because I know a lot of people listening to this right now are going to be, they're going to be wanting to be a part of something. I know people, I know a lot of people are already, I mean, there's, the masses are already waking up now. People are already in line. I mean, the amount of people that, that reach out to me all the time saying, even just reaching out saying, can we start a self-sustainable community? How can we do it? So the, the people are, will, are sort of, are feeling this already. But yes. let's say if someone out there now wants to sort of take them steps in their own lives to sort of, to move towards this, what, what would you say to them? So, so very importantly, please, whatever you do, do not go out there and start a self-sustained community. Okay, you're gonna you're gonna have a lot of heartache. You're gonna lose all your money. You're gonna probably lose all your friends. Uh, self-sustaining communities are not a solution, and this is why we don't call it a, a one small community. We call it a one small town, and there's a very good reason. It's taken 15 years of blood, sweat, and tears, and looking at all the other communities out there and realizing that they don't work. They have not worked. In fact, most of them are great disasters. Uh, and and uh, this is why it's called One Small Town, because we're using the tools of enslavement as tools of liberation. And we're using the political field. By using the mayor, we have infiltrated the political arena and using the politically appointed political leader, the mayor, so you see, without even having to go into politics. That's how brilliant and tactical this is. This is like a strategic tactical move on 
hijacking the capitalist model and using all the ugly stuff that they're throwing at us, using it to our benefit and our advantage. So please, whatever you do, do not go and run, run off and spend all your time and money starting a community. Find a small town. Look at the town that you live in or go to the town that you were born or where your parents live or your grandparents live or friends live. Go to the town, settle down in the town and promote this, this, this uh, philosophy to the people of the small town. But first of all, go onto the website, read everything you can. Try and read the Ubuntu book if you can so that you can have a full background platform of understanding of where this comes from and why it is absolutely necessary for us to do this. Why we cannot fix the system that we're in because our system is broken. We cannot fix it. We have to create a new system that works completely differently from the current system that we have. And this is why the One Small Town strategy is using the current system as a platform, but using it as a platform to create a completely new system. So we don't oppose it. We create a new system that makes the current system obsolete, as Buckminster Fuller puts it. And we do this gracefully, without any conflict, violence. Nobody has to leave their job. Nobody has to jump ship to do something new. It's a gradual, smooth transition from what we have now to what we've always wanted. A beautiful world, of a utopian world of prosperity and abundance for everyone. Uh, so there's nothing crazy that you have to do. Read everything on the website. Read the the Ubuntu, um, so, so the One Small Town Manifesto, read the, the letter or the proposal to the mayor so you have a very clear understanding what it is that we're actually offering the mayor of each town. Watch all the videos. There are a number of videos that I've put out since lockdown has started. So watch all the latest videos of One Small Town. It's very clearly spelled out there what it, what it is that we offer, what the mayor will get, how the community can participate and get this thing launched. It is so, so very simple. But before you rush off and tell anybody else, I'll go crazy or get too excited about it, first inform yourself because I'll tell you what happens is that if you run off and you get excited about this, you start telling people about it and, and you're very excited and hyperventilate, which is what happens. People do this because they suddenly find a new lease on life and they believe there's a bright light at the end of this dark and gloomy tunnel. So they want to tell everybody. And in the process of it and the excitement, they mess it up and they, and they start to sound like crazy people. So don't do that, okay? Calm yourself down. Sit yourself down and, and share this information very calmly and rationally and allow other people to do the same because everybody wants the same thing. Everybody wants to live a beautiful life and be happy. And this is what they will get. Absolute fulfillment of all their childhood dreams and everything they've ever wanted to do. This is what becomes reality in the one small task situation. I so yeah. our website, you can go to ubuntuplanet.org or onesmalltown.org. All the information is there. All the videos are there. And then start telling everybody. The more people you tell, the quicker this will spread like a virus of consciousness, infecting everybody with this unstoppable enthusiasm of a beautiful united world of prosperity and abundance for everyone. Maybe that's the one infection that we want to get out of this corona lockdown. The infection of consciousness and contributionism and one small town can change the world. 
Yeah, definitely. Honestly, I think that's what these conversations do as well. I think these conversations create sort of like an energetic current that does sort of plant that seed in people's minds. And then from that position, it empowers you from the inside and then then the outside world can be affected through that. So I just want to say, Michael, thank you so much for all the amazing work that you do. And like I said, when I started this podcast, one of the reasons why I wanted to get you on so much is because I definitely, I really do feel what you're doing is really important. And and all the other work that you've done for many years all around this topic leading up to this has been so important as well. And I'm sure in the future our paths will cross and we'll, we'll do it in person one because there's so many things I would love to talk about you with, talk to you about with. Well, thank you, Dan. I really appreciate it. It's really exciting and encouraging to see young people like you getting involved and sharing this information. And at this stage, I believe that the outcome is, is evident. We are going to create a utopian world for everyone. Utopian is a good word. It's not a bad word. It's a beautiful word. Uh, and we're going to live in this world of abundance and prosperity. It's just, it's just a matter of time now. I can see the consciousness shifting. I can see from the thousands of emails that I get, more and more people uh, checking out our website. It's just unstoppable now. And more and more feedback from people all over the world that want to participate, that want to share the knowledge, that want to know what to do. So do what I suggested you do. And, uh, and then uh, also the, 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 uh, the conscious millionaires and the investors that are contacting me on a regular basis now, uh, we are very, very close, very, very close from landing the kind of funding that we need to make this a reality. And it's literally, it seems like the timing is, is aligning itself perfectly for this to be the outcome of, of the humanity emerging out of this disgusting draconian lockdown that has caused a mass awakening, a mass enlightenment among the global population that will hopefully, a critical mass of the people will embrace the one small town strategy and take it forward with them into a new world that they create for themselves. Thank you for your interest and please uh, keep sharing and, and keep doing your amazing work. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast, guys. Hope you liked that conversation with Michael. I thought it was a really cool and empowering conversation. And I will also say as well that I, I think that I, I definitely, as you know, guys, sometimes when I have these conversations, just because people come on these podcasts doesn't mean I agree with everything. I think we that's a sign of a healthy society. We all have, we should all have, um, I think it's healthy to have opposing points of view. I think that's how a civilization grows. And I will just add towards the end that Michael did say that he doesn't think that anyone should try sort of buying a piece of land and starting a self-sustainable community because it doesn't it doesn't work and it's never worked. I will say that, um, I mean, he may be right and I may be wrong about this, but some of the communities that I have visited, it's definitely working. It's de- I've definitely seen it working. And so I, would, I know a few of you guys out there do have your own communities who listen to this podcast and you guys know it works. And it's also something that you want to explore. So I definitely disagreed with Michael on that side of things. I mean, the future may tell, may, may prove him right and may prove me, prove me wrong. But I've definitely so far and through my journey have seen other people doing self-sustainable communities and it where they buy a piece of land. And it it has it is it is working and it has worked. You just look got to look at examples like Lamas Eco Village or also um, a place in the Arizona desert called Arco Santi, which I think is one of the lo- longest standing um self-sustainable communities in the world but there is also a great quote as well that says sometimes in life you don't hear about the ones that do work you only hear about the ones that don't work so keep that in mind guys as well like i said in the intro there's not just one way to build a new earth 
I just wanted to bring Michael's idea to you. It is a really cool one, and I definitely think it's got so much power behind it. And I really love everything that Michael does. But I just wanted to add that because um, I definitely think that there's many different ways to to creating abundance and also creating a greater connection on the planet. And I think as as um, more people do wake on the planet, I think even more and more ideas and creative um, creative bursts of vision of creative creative bursts of ideas will emerge and there will be many different ways to create that 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 pop-up to create a new version of earth anyway so i hope i hope you enjoyed that conversation anyway i love you all in the next few days i'm definitely going to do an observe my thoughts because i've got a lot to talk about i really want to dive into some deep topics which over the last few weeks i've put to the sort of the back burner because some of the as you know some of the podcasts i've had to do just to really inform a lot of people of what i feel is going on in the planet and i think over the last couple of weeks i've really done a good job of that in my opinion i've brought some really alternative opinions to what the media has been talking about so anyway more will prevail in the future i've got many podcasts coming i've got a lot to talk about and a lot of interesting rabbit holes to dive into that is for sure a lot is unfolding especially in my journey and i know in your journeys as well so anyway i love you all thank you so much for being a huge part of this community it really means a lot guys that every single week you tune in we are really creating some form of a real beautiful community and i know guys i'll meet up with as many as you many of many of you as i can in the future i really know that um i know that is definitely going to happen anyway so i love you all and just to play this podcast out as i always do this is a song um, a really cool one it's by an artist called xavier rudd and the song is called follow the sun it, the sun is shining in the uk right now so this is a perfect song for this but anyway i love you all and i will catch you whenever the next podcast is out which will probably be in a few days time peace out
So follow, follow the sun, the direction of the birds, the direction of love. Breathe, breathe in the air, cherish this moment, cherish this breath. Tomorrow's a new day for everyone. A brand new moon, brand new sun. When you feel life coming down on you like a heavy weight, when you feel this crazy society adding to the strain. Stroll to the nearest water's edge. Remember your place. Many moons have risen and fallen long, long before you came. So which way is the wind blowing? And what does your heart say? Which way the wind blows when this day is done.